You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.weareredwood.org. We pray that the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Children, you may be dismissed for Children's Church. And what a great time of worship this morning. And I'm so thankful for what uh, the Lord is doing in the life of our church. And I'm thankful for what he's doing in my life. The elephant in the room is after 10 years, I'm finally going in with the Niners. Yeah, appreciate that. I don't know, maybe I might go back to the Eagles. That was kind of weak. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, we, we want to make much of Jesus, not so much the Niners. Although I hope you enjoy today. Uh, I hope we, uh, I normally, uh, we love to open up our home and have a big party. I apologize, I've been under the weather uh, most of all this week. And so if I haven't said hello to you, it's not because I'm trying to be uh, rude. I'm trying to spare you of a week like I had uh, this past week. But I will, in spirit, I will watch the game. I will be enjoying it with you and be uh, rooting for uh, the Niners 100%. And so, again, it took me 10 years, but I own a shirt, and I'm excited about that. And um, I was trying to get Sarah. I told those that were here at 10 o'clock. I was trying to get Sarah. I told her, I said, if I buy a jersey, I was trying to really, you know, get her like, hey, let's get a jersey, you know. If I buy a jersey, I'm just converting wholeheartedly to the Niners. And if I get a T-shirt, I'm going to be rooting for the Niners, and I'll stay an Eagles fan. So I got a T-shirt. But no, I am. I want to uh, I want to become uh, a Niners fan, and so I'm using this. You say, oh, you're just bandwagoning it. No, it's I've been here for 10 years, so I think it's been uh, long enough and uh, excited about it. But again, I hope you enjoy uh, the time with your friends and your family uh, this afternoon, uh, watching a great uh, sporting event. And uh, I think it's um, every bit. It can be very, uh, it, can, it can be a wonderful time of just community uh, with people, and uh, that is very important. God, God created us to uh, be around people, to be in a community, and so enjoy that around a sport. Uh, this afternoon, I will uh, with my family. Mark chapter number eight. Mark chapter eight. We've been in our series that we simply entitled Jesus from the book of Mark. And uh, I've been just so excited uh, for today, uh, even in the midst of just really a just kind of a uh, yucky uh, end of the week uh, here in prepara- preparation for today. But uh, I'm excited about what the Lord has laid on my heart. Uh, in this study, and as we, again, I didn't see Mike much this week because I wasn't uh, it, uh, just home a lot, just trying to rest and read and, and, and study as well, but I didn't see him a lot, so I didn't know we were going to sing that song, Waymaker. And I'm telling you what, that song, a couple, I think it was maybe the bridge or something when it talks about like how you don't hear him sometimes, you don't see him, but he's still working. Man, that's going to go with today's message. You have no clue with that. Uh, it's just perfect. The Holy Spirit led him uh, to lead in that direction for us to for us to sing this morning. I want to begin reading verse number 27. We're just going to read a couple verses here this morning. <clears throat> Mark 8, verse number 27. And I'll begin reading uh, here, uh, and you, you follow along. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? 
And they answer, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But who, whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth, saith unto him, Thou art the Christ, or you are the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. This morning I want to spend some time looking into the word on the topic of a grace-filled confession. A grace-filled confession. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come before you, and Lord, I'm... Um, as there is not a day that goes by where I'm not needy, but I'm acknowledging that, Lord, before you and before these people. The Lord, I need your I need your mind this morning. And God, I pray that you would uh, anoint this time and uh, anoint as we look into Scripture and we um, glean truth from it and principles for our uh, for our life. I pray that once again we would see just the uh, the mighty nature of, of Christ in us and just the beauty of what that means for us. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just uh, please help myself and any, any coughing or anything like that, that Lord, that wouldn't take place, that I would not be a distraction in any way to your word and what you desire to do in the next moments. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There is no doubt that this confession... Uh, from Peter is the epicenter of the Gospel of Mark. It really, it really divides it into two sections. And the first section is really focused on the identity of Jesus. We have, we've seen his power, we've seen his authority, we've seen his compassion and love and uh, great grace in operation all the way up to this point as we've gone verse by verse through this book. And the book of Mark um, so far has really been about the person that Mark 1.1 spoke of. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we have seen that all the way up through um, verse 26 of Mark chapter number 8. And in all of those chapters leading to this point, you see Jesus demonstrating who he is in this amazing work. This, this miracle power, this, this deliverance of people that were sick and blind, uh, even resurrecting and harnessing the, the forces of nature, of, of literally breaking bread and, and fish and literally recreating thousands of times for people to eat. Yet something has been very striking to me. And that is from Mark 1... To Mark chapter 8, verse number 28, there seems to be not really any recognition of the true identity of Jesus. The crowd, they don't recognize who he is. The recipients of all of the amazing miracles that we have read about, they don't accurately recognize who he is. The scribes and the Pharisees, they clearly do not recognize who he is. They have become his arch enemies and desiring his life as, to, to, to kill him, and they eventually will. The political leaders of the day, they do not recognize who he is. And that actually shouldn't shock us. Because Paul, he indicates Scripture, said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. 
for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What Paul means there when he says the natural man, he means the unregenerate, those that have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, those that have never been made alive with the Spirit of God taking up residence in them that we learned so much about last week in our revival with, with John. He's saying they don't, they don't, they don't see it. The, the natural man, they, they can't understand the things of the Spirit and the spiritual the realm. And so you've got to understand something here. Apart from grace... I will look at the supernatural power of God. We would look at the beautiful truths of the gospel that we have seen and we would be utterly closed off to them because our heart would be spiritually dead. Our eyes would be spiritually blind. And so you and I would need to give naturalistic explanations for the supernatural that mankind has seen over these months in the life of Jesus. We don't know exactly how long it's been, but you're going to have to give natural explanations for the supernatural. And that is what you and I see every single day with the lost world. They explain away what you and I hold so dear. And the difference is, is because grace has visited us and you and I, we have had our eyes enlightened. We are no longer a natural man. We have been born again as we uh, learn in John when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. And so you and I, we don't have to attempt to explain away everything that Jesus does. And so this is why you and I, listen, this is why you and I should never take pride and our understanding of the gospel. You and I should never take pride in our understanding of the Christian life. We should never take pride in the fact that there is faith inside of us and that there is a desire to live for God. We should never look proudly and condemning at people who look at the gospel and they see nothing of the power that you see because apart from grace, that's exactly where you would be. That's exactly where I would be. We must not turn the gospel, as, as Mark said early on, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I should never turn that into a reason for arrogance. Because apart from grace, I would have been in the crowd. Apart from grace, I would have seen what Jesus did. Apart from grace, I would have heard what Jesus said. And I would have, I would have, I would have seen the miracles and I would have walked away unchained, unchanged. But thank God we didn't. Thank God you can look back into your past. Hopefully you can. We'll, we'll deal with it in a moment. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. But you can look back in a, in a past in your life and you can see the moment of when you realized the lights begin to come on that you were a sinner. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That The fact that you can even think of that is God opening your eyes, enlightening you. And we ought to thank Him. And so this text, Christ is... He's on his way with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And it really is a watershed moment in the book here of Mark. And up to this point, you really haven't seen an acceptance of the identity of Jesus Christ. And as they're in transit, Christ asks a question. You know, who do people say that I am? As you're out and about and as you're, you know, kind of communicating with people, what are people saying about me? 
Who do people say that I am? And honestly, this question really is kind of just a preparatory question for where he really wants to get. But he's like, you know, what are people, what are people saying about me? We see in verse 27, and Jesus went out and the disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples or as they're on their way, saying unto them, who do men say that I am? Who, who are people? Whom do they say that I am? And they answered, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you're Elias or Elijah. And some are saying, ah, you know what? You're just, you're just, one, of the, you're just one of the prophets. I'll be honest with you, their response is quite predictable. You know, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Again, you don't see any uh, acceptance of the true identity of Jesus. This is uh, the dynamic here is that apart from that grace that gives you the heart and gives you the eyes to be able to see, you're going to look at the very Son of God and not see the Son of God. You're going to look at the Messiah and you're not going to see the Messiah. And so you must give some kind of more natural explanation. And all of these answers that are given by the disciples that they're hearing, that people are saying who this Jesus is, they all relegate Jesus to something less than His true identity as the Anointed One, as the Son of God. And then Jesus turns to His disciples and now the real question that he wants to ask. And he says, but who do you say that I am? You know, as you're out and about and people are saying, oh, you know, this Jesus, you know, he, he, he's John the Baptist. He's, you know, he's, he's one of those old-time prophets. He's Elijah. But, but who do you say that I am? You're my inner circle, so to speak. You've been, you, you've been following me. You've been with me for some, for, for some months now, maybe even, maybe, maybe even years now. Who do you say that I am. Churchgoer, who do you say that Jesus is? Oh, we could go to San Francisco. We can go to Palo Alto. We can even go to our beautiful downtown Redwood City that's just, oh, it's becoming so gorgeous. And you can begin to interview people and say, you know, who do you, who do you say Jesus is? And you're going to get a myriad of different answers out there. But who do you say he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And so he's asked his intimate group of followers, and we see in verse 29, and he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter gives this beautiful answer to him. He says, Thou art the Christ. Now you could argue that in the four words that Peter gives there is the entire story and history of redemption. That it's all summarized in that. But we must not miss the process that led this man to the point where he is able to make this expansive, grace-filled confession of the identity of Jesus. I want you to think with me for a moment. I want you to, I, I just kind of, I, I want you to listen, and, and I want you to intently think about this. Not too long ago, this man was just an ordinary, working-class fisherman. He got up every day with a repetitive life of someone who was doing his work. He would have gotten up in the morning and he would have headed to the sea of to the shores of Galilee. You would begin to check your nets and your equipment to make sure that they were appropriate for the day. And then you would check your boat to make sure that it was in working order. 
And then you would get those nets and you would go and you would get in your boat and you would spend the day, most of the day, on the Sea of Galilee fishing. And then you would take that fish, you'd come back to shore and you'd go to market and you would try to sell as many fish as you possibly could do. And then before you would go home, you would make sure you would, they, they would mend their nets, they would break and things like that. And they would make sure that all their nets were good to go. And they would get up the next day and they would do the same thing again and again and again. It kind of sounds like our monotonous day, right? Where we do the same thing, you know, over and over and over again. Just a regular, ordinary, I'm ordinary, right? Guy. And they're just working. Just, just every ordinary types of things. And you repeat it over and over again. This man had no idea how that grace would utterly transform his life. Peter, before he knew Christ, had no knowledge of the gospel at all, no faith at all, no understanding at all, and now he makes this amazing confession, Thou art the Christ. But there's something else that you and I should acknowledge here. It's very clear from the passages that follow that Peter had little sense of the expansiveness of what he had just confessed. In fact, you could argue that the rest of Peter's life would be a life of leaning, learning excuse me, what the words that he spoke at this moment actually meant. And here's why. Because God wasn't done with Peter. See, God, the Lord was going to continue to work in this man's life by maturing his faith. See, God in his grace would rescue Peter from Peter often. I mean, you and I know the stories, right? Of Peter. I mean, hello. I mean, literally just like curse Jesus. And yet he makes that confession. Thou art the Christ. We know his life was one of ups and downs. It was full of stumbles and defeats and of great victories. And yet the whole time, grace was there and was working on him. Powerful, transforming grace would keep molding and molding and molding this man. And someday, Peter would be able to speak with great wisdom and application what these four words mean for all of the world. I want you to listen, you can follow along here, of how God's grace has so worked in this man's life, and now he writes in 1 Peter these words, 2 Peter, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful 
and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on. But it's just amazing what this pastoral Peter many, many years later. Literally, if you study even when he was writing these books, I mean, like, Rome is on fire. The early church is being persecuted like crazy. And he's able to give this beautiful description of the person and the work of the Lord and how it applies to your growth and how it applies to your everyday life that you live here in this fallen world. It's simply incredible. And listen to me. That's what grace does. You don't always see it working. You don't always, you don't always hear him working. But you take this, this man, Peter, that is, he's on the way to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the anointed one. You are the Christ. Not knowing the full ramifications of that yet. And then later in his life, he will be able to give some of the description that we just looked at. And so maybe you're here this morning and you say, Ryan, there are, there are so many things that I do not understand about the gospel and about Christian life. There are so many, there are so many questions that I have. There are so many truths that they, they confuse me. There are times when I wonder, what in the world is God doing in my life? There are times when I wonder, God, do you really care? There are times when I, when, when I look at other people and I look at other families and I see how, how they are being treated and I wonder, do you love them more than you love me? Legitimate questions and concerns. Well, I want you to be comforted. God is at work in your life and you are, if, if you're His child, and He's doing so, working with this zealous and unrelenting grace. He will teach you and He will guide you and He's going to give you encouragement along the way. But I want you to hear me. He will put you in situations where you're forced to trust Him and to Him alone. And it's in those moments He's going to demonstrate His love for you. He's going to, he's going to demonstrate His power and His compassion and His truth. He's going to continue to work in your life until you are completed as it is said that you are in the image of His Son. That is a, it's a wonderful process. And so let me encourage you this morning. Rest in that grace. Rest in that, in that work. That, that, that Peter, who really didn't know everything about that confession... Thou art the Christ. I mean, which literally encapsulates the beautiful message of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ. And yet, you see the ups and the downs in Peter's life. And yet, in the end, you see beautiful words coming from him. There's hope for all of us. Well, let's get to those four words here real quick. Thou art the Christ. Or here's what that means. You are the anointed one. Peter was absolutely right when he said this Jesus of Nazareth was the anointed one. The phrase, the Christ, or the anointed one, it means two specific things. First, it means that you are one with a special relationship to God. God's power has been placed upon you. God's Spirit has been placed within you because secondly, you have been sent on a special mission by God. And so he's one with God the Father, and he's been sent on this special mission. And we know what the mission is. 
Jesus was meant to be what? The Savior of the entire world. Jesus was meant to be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's what John said. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That was Jesus' mission. His assignment was to live a perfectly righteous life was as man was as we learned on Sunday night to in in his humanity to yield completely to the father's will to yield completely to the holy spirit working in his life and to live perfectly for you and for me and then die on the cross so you and I can be saved from our sins his blood can wash away that sin that was his that was his mission so that you and I could have eternal life thou art the christ you are the anointed one. You want to know what that means? It's, a, it, it, it's such a you know, contrite way of saying that it means that sin is a reality. See, sin can't be denied. The, the, the idea of sin can't be avoided. It is the scourge of all of humanity. So that means that at the, at the core, my problem isn't in and of itself my situation. My problem isn't my relationships. It's not other people. It's not my education. It's not the government. Listen, it is me submitting to the old master that we learned so much about last week at our revival. It is me. It is sin. Sin is a reality. It was the very reason that Jesus Christ came was to deal with it. And so you are the Christ means that God would not allow sin to reign. And hallelujah for that. That He would make a way for His Son to be sin for us, to deal with it. Sin to be conquered, for death to die, so that you and I would be able to have eternal life. Thou art the Christ. You are the anointed one means that forgiveness is possible. Broken, rebellious, lost sinners can stand before God unafraid because their sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are the Christ means eternal life is possible. New life, not just in the world to come, but now. The gospel is a message of glorious fresh starts and new beginnings. Thieves can become givers. Rebellious people can become submissive to God's way. Hateful people can become loving people. Prideful people can become humble. Heretics can become believers. Controllers can begin to rest in the sovereignty and the power of God. Fresh starts, new beginnings, those are a gift that comes with thou art the Christ. This is who Jesus is. You are the anointed one, Peter said. You are the Christ. It means all that is broken by sin will someday be restored. Restored. Jesus said, Behold, I have come to make all things new. You are the Christ means that there is hope. You know what Peter was saying? Peter was saying, You're not just the fulfillment of the law. You're not just the fulfillment of the prophets. You're not just the hope of Israel. You're not just the hope of, uh, of just a select flu. He's saying you are the hope of every human being who has ever breathed. There is one hope, and his name is Jesus. And this is a, it's a watershed confession. And that's because there's only two kinds of people. There are those that look at Jesus 
and they say, you are the Christ. And as they say that, you are the Christ, they, they say that in worship. They say that in joy. They say that in humility. And when you say that, your life never is the same. It's changed for all of eternity. And then there are those that look Jesus in the face and they, and they mock the thought that he is the Son of God. They relegate him to a nice guy, to a good teacher, a good prophet. But they want to retain lordship over their life, of their schedule, of their relationships. And they walk away unchanged. I want you to ask this question this morning. I'm almost done. I think you can tell. Where do you stand in regard to those four words? Thou art the Christ. You are the anointed one. I'd plead with you this morning, right now in this moment, ask yourself that question. Do I stand before this Jesus and do I say, you are my Christ? Or is that just somebody else's religion? Man, Ryan, you're so passionate about Jesus. Might be lacking that passion today. I'm sorry. Don't feel so hot. But yeah, that's, that's good for you. Yeah, that, you know, that impacts your week. Yeah, that's good for you or is he your Christ is he your way maker is he your promise keeper is he your change agent for your life Christian believer is he your Christ on Monday is he your Christ on Tuesday evening Wednesday morning do you live like you actually believe that you have come to know this Christ and he, His life is within you and He's made all things new? That His grace is now operating in your life and that you have hope. Oh, not hope because your situations work out. Not hope because your relationships are great right now. Not hope because currently you're not suffering. No, no, no. I mean hope because you're now connected to the Savior who will keep you he will guide you. He will continue to enlighten you. He will bring you along from someone that just said, Thou art the Christ, to the beautiful passage that we looked at in 2 Peter 1. Husbands, if I asked you, why do you respond the way that you do to your wife? You ought to be able to say, because Jesus is the Christ. And it ought to mean something. Parents, if I were to ask you why, do you, why do you respond to your children the way that you do, you ought to be able to say, simplistically, it's because I have a relationship with Jesus. That's what makes me different, because thou art the Christ, because you are my Christ, my anointed one. If I were to ask you why you handle your finances in the way that you do, you ought to be able to say, because Jesus is the Christ. And it actually ought to mean something to you. And what happens next in this text, it's a, it's a bit confusing. Peter makes this amazing confession. I believe it was a grace-filled confession. What, he didn't fully understand everything, but God was, he, he was working in his life. 
And Jesus says, you got it, but please don't tell anybody. What? What? I mean, come on, if you got it right. I believe the reason is this silent the reason for this silence is, is Jesus understood that this transforming grace, this this sanctification process, it's not so much an event. Yes, salvation, justification, it's an event. But the growth in that and what it means for the implications of your life, it's more of a process. And these guys, they they weren't fully ready to an adequate explanation of these words. And so I want to praise I want to praise God this morning that you do not have to know everything right now. You don't have to know everything right now. You probably got all kinds of questions. And here's what I say. God can handle your questions. He can handle them. Allow His work. Allow the Word of God. Remember we talked about those eyes to see a couple earlier in this chapter. He heals the blind man's eyes. And he says, hey, what do you see? And he says, I see, I see people as trees. I see men as trees. It's just, you know, I couldn't really see anything. And then Jesus touches him again, and then he sees clearly. Again, indicating in this chapter just this process. God is going to continue to work in your life. Allow him to. Allow him to use his word. Allow him to use all of the different things that he desires to use, all of the, what we would maybe call the disciplines. I mean, just like elementary type stuff, prayer and, you know, Bible reading. And listen, those are awesome little simple things. And God will use those things to continue to work in your life. Here's why. Because God's not done with you. He's the way maker. He's the promise keeper. He's the one that is going to continue to work in your life. So if you've come here this morning and you're discouraged, man, allow God to just show you a little bit more light. Say, God, I'm, I'm hungry. I want, I, want to, I want to know more. And here's what I promise. He'll show you. He'll continue to illuminate through the person of the Holy Spirit in His Word. It's a grace-filled confession. It's beautiful that you see here. It's either He is who He says He is or He's not. Can I challenge you to be an individual that says, yes, I don't understand it all, but I know, I know that Jesus is my Savior. That's a great, awesome starting point. And if you don't know that, make today, make today that day. Christian, if you are a believer, now let's allow that to flesh out in the rest of our days and our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this pivotal passage in Mark's gospel. I want to thank you that, that it puts before us both the process as well as the content of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that those would come together in our hearts in ways that will continue to grow us, will continue to mature us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us that, that rest can only be found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we yield to your work in our lives. And God, as we've seen through the pages here of Mark so far, with those that are seeking, you're so delicate. You're so compassionate. You're so patient. You're so loving. 
where most of us would have given up on Peter. You never did. And you worked beautifully in his life. And Lord, I want to give you the glory for working in my life. And I pray for the people of our church that, Lord, you'd continue the work in their life. That we would not get so worked up over some end result, but instead yield to your daily, maturing, compassionate love and grace in our life. And Lord, may we with boldness like Peter be able to say, Thou art the Christ. You are my anointed one. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Why don't you ask the Lord to do a work in your heart and then realize that that work is going to continue beyond right now. It's going to work in your life throughout the week. Next Sunday when we gather again. Man, God's good. To add to his foundation in your life.